0: Welcome to Send Me to Sleep, the place to find a good night's rest. My name's Andrew, and I'm so pleased you've joined me this evening, and taken the time for yourself to ensure you get a peaceful night's sleep. Tonight, I'll be reading chapters 24 and 25 of The Scarlet Pimpernel, by Emma Orczy. In the last chapter, Marguerite and Sir Andrew had reached Calais and were on the search for Percy. In this chapter, Marguerite has an unfortunate encounter with Chauvelin. If you haven't already, find a nice place to get cosy. Take a deep, relaxing breath, and settle your body in whatever way feels most comfortable. Now all you'll need to do is follow the sound of my voice. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Chapter 24 The Death Trap The next quarter of an hour went by swiftly and noiselessly. In the room downstairs, Brogard had for a while busied himself with clearing the table and rearranging it for another guest. It was because she watched these preparations that Marguerite found the time slipping by more pleasantly. It was for Percy that this semblance of supper was being got ready. Evidently, Brogard had a certain amount of respect for the tall Englishman, as he seemed to take some trouble in making the place look a trifle less uninviting than it had done before. He even produced, from some hidden recess in the old dresser, what actually looked like a tablecloth and saw it was full of holes, he shook his head dubiously for a while, then was at much pains to spread it over the table, as to hide most of its blemishes. Then he got out a serviette, also old and ragged, but possessing some measure of cleanliness, and with this he carefully wiped the glasses, spoons, and plates which he put on the table. Marguerite could not help smiling to herself as she watched all these preparations, which Brogard accomplished to an accompaniment of muttered oaths. Clearly the great height and bulk of the Englishman, or perhaps the weight of his fist, had overawed this free-born citizen of France, or he would never have been at such trouble for any Sacré When the table was set, such as it was, Brogard surveyed it with evident satisfaction. He then dusted one of the chairs with the corner of his blouse, gave a stir to the stockpot, threw a fresh bundle of wood onto the fire, and slouched out of the room. Marguerite was left alone with her reflections. She had spread her travelling cloak over the straw, and was sitting fairly comfortably as the straw was fresh and the evil odors from below came up to her only in a modified form. But, momentarily, she was almost happy. Happy because, when she peeped through the tattered curtains, she could see a rickety chair, a torn tablecloth, a glass, a plate and a spoon. That was all. But those mute and ugly things seemed to say to her that they were waiting for Percy. That soon, very soon, he would be here. That the squalid room being still empty, they would be alone together. That thought was so heavenly that Marguerite closed her eyes in order to shut out everything but that. In a few minutes, she would be alone with him. She would run down the ladder and let him see her. Then he would take her in his arms and she would let him see that, after that, she would gladly die for him, and without him, for Earth could hold no greater happiness than that. And then what would happen? She could not even remotely conjecture. She knew, of course, that Sir Andrew was right, That Percy would do everything he had set out to accomplish, that she, now she was here, could do nothing beyond warning him to be cautious, since Chauvelin himself was on the track. After having cautioned him, she would perforce have to see him go off upon his terrible and daring mission. She could not, even with a word or look, attempt to keep him back she would have to obey whatever he told her to do, even perhaps to efface herself and wait in an indescribable agony whilst he, perhaps, went to his death. But even that seemed less terrible to bear than the thought that he should never know how much she loved him, that at any rate would be spared her the squalid room itself which seemed to be waiting for him, told her that he would be here soon. Suddenly, her oversensitive ears caught the sound of distant footsteps drawing near. Her heart gave a wild leap of joy. Was it Percy at last? No, the step did not seem quite as long, nor quite as firm as his. She also thought that she should hear two distinct sets of footsteps. Yes, that was it. Two men were coming this way. Two strangers, perhaps, to get a drink, or… But she had not time to conjecture, for presently there was a peremptory call at the door, and the next moment it was violently thrown open from the outside, whilst a rough, commanding voice shouted, Hey, Citoyenne Brogard, hola. Marguerite could not see the newcomers, but through a hole in one of the curtains, she could observe one portion of the room below. She heard Brogard's shuffling footsteps as he came out of the inner room, muttering his usual string of oaths. On seeing the strangers, however, he paused in the middle of the room, well within range of Marguerite's vision, looked at them with an even more withering contempt than he had bestowed upon his former guests, and muttered, Sacre Soutane. Marguerite's heart seemed all at once to stop beating, her eyes large and dilated, had fastened on one of the newcomers, who, at this point, had taken a quick step forward towards Brogard. He was dressed in the soutane, broad-brimmed hat, and buckled shoes habitual to the French curé. But as he stood opposite the innkeeper, he threw open his satan for a minute, displaying the tricolour scarf of officialism, which sight immediately had the effect of transforming Brogard's attitude of contempt into one of cringing obsequiousness. It was the sight of this French curé which seemed to freeze the very blood in Marguerite's veins. She could not see his face, which was shaded by his broad-brimmed hat, but she recognized the thin, bony hands, the slight stoop. The whole gate of the man. It was Chauvelin. The horror of the situation struck her as with a physical blow. The awful disappointment, the dread of what was to come, made her very senses real, and she needed almost superhuman effort not to fall senseless beneath it all. A plate of soup and a bottle of wine, said chauvelin imperiously to brogard then clear out of here understand i want to be alone silently and without any muttering this time brogard obeyed chauvelin sat down at the table which had been prepared for the tall englishman and the innkeeper busied himself obsequiously round him dishing up the soup and pouring out the wine. The man who had entered with Chauvelin, and whom Marguerite could not see, stood waiting close by the door. At a brusque sign from Chauvelin, Brogard had hurried back to the inner room, and the former now beckoned to the man who had accompanied him. In him Marguerite at once recognised Desgas chauvelin's secretary and confidential factotum whom she had often seen in paris in the days gone by he crossed the room and for a moment or two listened attentively at brogard's door not listening asked chauvelin curtly no citoyen for a second marguerite dreaded lest chauvelin should order desgas to search the place what would happen if she were to be discovered, she hardly dared to imagine. Fortunately, however, Chauvelin seemed more impatient to talk to his secretary than afraid of spies, for he called Descas quickly back to his side. "'The English schooner?' he asked. "'She was lost sight of at Sundown Sityan,' replied Duskass, but was then making west towards Cap Grinez.' Ah, good, muttered Chauvelin. And now, about Captain Jutley, what did he say? He assured me that all the orders you sent him last week have been implicitly obeyed. All the roads which converge to this place have been patrolled night and day ever since, and the beach and cliffs have been most rigorously searched and guarded. Does he know where this... Pierre Blancard's hut is No, Citoyenne. Nobody seems to know of it by that name. There are any amount of fishermen's hut, all along the coast, of course. But that'll do. Now about tonight, interrupted Chauvelin, impatiently. The roads and the beach are patrolled as usual, Citoyen, and Captain Jutley awaits further orders go back to him at once, then. Tell him to send reinforcements to the various patrols, and especially to those along the beach. You understand." Chauvelin spoke curtly and to the point, and every word he uttered struck Marguerite's heart like the death knell of her fondest hopes. The men, he continued, are to keep the sharpest possible lookout for any strangers who may be walking, riding, or driving along the road or the beach, more especially for a tall stranger whom I need not describe further, as probably he will be disguised, but he cannot very well conceal his height, except by stooping, you understand?" "'Perfectly, citoyen,' replied Descas. As soon as any of the men have sighted a stranger, two of them are to keep him in view. The man who loses sight of the tall stranger, after he is once seen, will pay for his negligence with his life. But one man is to ride straight back here and report to me, is that clear? Absolutely clear, Citoyenne. Very well then, go and see Jutley at once see the reinforcements start off for the patrol duty, then ask the captain to let you have half a dozen more men and bring them here with you. You can be back in ten minutes. Go." Discas saluted and went to the door. As Marguerite, sick with horror, listened to Chauvelin's directions to his underling, the whole of the plan for the capture of the Scarlet Pimpernel became appallingly clear to her. Chauvelin wished that the fugitives should be left in false security, waiting in their hidden retreat until Percy joined them. Then the daring plotter was to be surrounded and caught red-handed in the very act of aiding and abetting royalists, who were traitors to the Republic. Thus, if his capture were noised abroad, Even the British government could not legally protest in his favour, having plotted with the enemies of the French government. France had the right to put him to death. Escape from him and them would be impossible. All the roads patrolled and watched, the trap was well set, the net wide at present, but drawing together tighter and tighter until it closed upon the daring plotter, whose superhuman cunning even could not rescue him from its meshes now. Desgas was about to go, but Chauvelin once more called him back. Marguerite vaguely wondered what further devilish plans he could have formed in order to entrap one brave man, alone, against two score of others. She looked at him, as he turned to speak to discuss, she could just see his face beneath the broad-brimmed cure's hat. There was at that moment so much deadly hatred, such fiendish malice in the thin face and pale, small eyes, that Marguerite's last hope died in her heart, for she felt that from this man she could expect no mercy. I had forgotten repeated Chauvelin, with a weird chuckle, as he rubbed his bony, talon-like hands one against the other with a gesture of fiendish satisfaction. The tall stranger may show fight. In any case, no shooting, remember, except as a last resort. I want that tall stranger alive, if possible. He laughed. As Dante had told us that the devil's laugh at the sight of the tortured damned, Marguerite had thought that by now she had lived through the whole gamut of horror and anguish that the human heart could bear. Yet now, when Descasse left the house and she remained alone in this lonely, squalid room with that fiend for company, she felt as if all that she had suffered was nothing compared with this. He continued to laugh and chuckle to himself for a while, rubbing his hands together in anticipation of his triumph. His plans were well laid, and he might well triumph. Not a loophole was left through which the bravest, the most cunning man might escape. Every road guarded, every corner watched, and in that lonely hut, somewhere on the coast, a small band of fugitives waiting for their rescuer and leading him to his death, nay, to worse than death. That fiend there, in a holy man's garb, was too much of a devil to allow a brave man to die the quick, sudden death of a soldier at the post of duty. He, above all, longed to have the cunning enemy who had so long baffled him helpless in his power, he wished to gloat over him, to enjoy his downfall, to inflict upon him what moral and mental torture a deadly hatred alone can devise. The brave eagle, captured and with noble wings clipped, was doomed to endure the gnawing of the rat, and she, his wife, who loved him, And who had brought him to this could do nothing to help him. Nothing save to hope for death by his side, and for one brief moment in which to tell him that her love, whole, true and passionate, was entirely his. Chauvelin was now sitting close to the table. He had taken off his hat, and Marguerite could just see the outline of his thin profile and pointed chin, as he bent over his meagre supper. He was evidently quite contented, and awaited events with perfect calm. He even seemed to enjoy Brogard's unsavoury fare. Marguerite wondered how so much hatred could lurk in one human being against another. Suddenly, As she watched Chauvelin, a sound caught her ear, which turned her very heart to stone. And yet, that sound was not calculated to inspire anyone with horror, for it was merely the cheerful sound of a gay, fresh voice singing lustily, God save the king. CHAPTER TWENTY-FIVE THE EAGLE AND THE FOX Marguerite's breath stopped short. She seemed to feel her very life standing still momentarily while she listened to the voice and to that song. In the singer, she had recognized her husband. Chauvelin, too, had heard it, for he darted a quick glance towards the door then hurriedly took up his broad-brimmed hat and clapped it over his head. The voice drew nearer, for one brief second the wild desire seized Marguerite to rush down the steps and fly across the room, to stop that song at any cost, to beg the cheerful singer to fly, fly for his life, before it be too late. She checked the impulse just in time. Chauvelin would stop her before she reached the door, and, moreover, she had no idea if he had any soldiers posted within his call. Her impetus act might prove the death signal of the man she would have died to save. Long to reign over us, God save the king, sang the voice more lustily than ever. The next moment, the door was thrown open and there was dead silence for a second or so. Marguerite could not see the door. She held her breath, trying to imagine what was happening. Percy Blakeney on entering had, of course, at once caught sight of the curé at the table. His hesitation lasted less than five seconds. The next moment, Marguerite saw his tall figure crossing the room, whilst he called in a loud, cheerful voice. Hello there. No one about? Where's that fool Brogard? He wore the magnificent coat and riding suit which he had on when Marguerite last saw him at Richmond, so many hours ago. As usual, his get-up was absolutely irreproachable. The fine meshlin lace at his neck and wrists was immaculate in its gossamer daintiness. His hands looked slender and white, his fair hair was carefully brushed, and he carried his eyeglass with his usual affected gesture. In fact, at this moment, Sir Percy Blakeney, Bart, might have been on his way to a garden party at the Prince of Wales's instead of deliberately cold-bloodedly, running his head in a trap set for him by his deadliest enemy. He stood for a moment in the middle of the room, whilst Marguerite, absolutely paralyzed with horror, seemed unable to even breathe. Every moment she expected that Chauvelin would give a signal, that the place would fill with soldiers that she would rush down and help Percy to sell his life dearly. As he stood there, suavely unconscious, she nearly screamed out to him, ''Fly, Percy! Tis your deadly enemy! Fly before it be too late!'' But she had not time even to do that. For the next moment, Blakeney quietly walked to the table and jovially clapped the cure on the back. Said in his own drawly, affected way Odds fish. Ah, uh, Monsieur Chauvelin. I vow I never thought of meeting you here. Chauvelin, who had been in the very act of conveying soup to his mouth, fairly choked. His thin face became absolutely purple and a violent fit of coughing saved this cunning representative of France from betraying the most boundless surprise he had ever experienced. There was no doubt that this bold move on the part of the enemy had been wholly unexpected, as far as he was concerned, and the daring impudence of it completely nonplussed him for a moment. Obviously, he had not taken the precaution of having the inn surrounded with soldiers. Blakeney had evidently guessed that much, and no doubt his resourceful brain had already formed some plan by which he could turn this unexpected interview to account. Marguerite, up in the loft, had not moved. She had made a solemn promise to Sir Andrew not to speak to her husband before strangers and she had sufficient self-control not to throw herself unreasoningly and impulsively across his plans. To sit still and watch these two men together was a terrible trial of fortitude. Marguerite had heard Chauvelin give the orders for the patrolling of the roads. She knew that if Percy now left the Chat Grise, in whichever direction he happened to go, he could not go far without being sighted by some of Captain Jutley's men on patrol. On the other hand, if he stayed, then Discaz would have time to come back with the half-dozen men Chauvelin had specially ordered. The trap was closing in, and Marguerite could do nothing but watch and wonder. The two men looked such a strange contrast, and of the two, It was Chauvelin who exhibited the slight touch of fear. Marguerite knew him well enough to guess what was passing in his mind. He had no fear for his own person, although he certainly was alone in a lonely inn with a man who was powerfully built and who was daring and reckless beyond the bounds of probability. She knew that Chauvelin would willingly have braved perilous encounters for the sake of the cause he had at heart, but what he did fear was that this impudent Englishman would, by knocking him down, double his own chances of escape. His underlings might not succeed so well in capturing the Scarlet Pimpernel, when not directed by the cunning hand and shrewd brain. Which had deadly hate for an incentive. Evidently, however, the representative of the French government had nothing to fear for the moment, but the hands of this powerful adversary, Blakeney, with his most inane laugh and pleasant good nature, was solemnly patting him on the back. I am so damned sorry, he was saying cheerfully. So very sorry. I seem to have upset you, eating soup too, nasty, awkward thing soup, ah, begad, a friend of mine died once, ah, choked, just like you, with a spoonful of soup." And he smiled shyly, good-humouredly, down at Chauvelin. "'Odd's life,' he continued as soon as the latter had somewhat recovered himself. Beastly hole, this, ain't it now? La, you don't mind, he added, apologetically, as he sat down on a chair close to the table and drew the soup tureen towards him. That fool Brogard seems to be asleep or something. There was a second plate on the table, and he calmly helped himself to soup, then poured himself out a glass of wine. For a moment, Marguerite wondered what Chauvelin would do. His disguise was so good that perhaps he meant, on recovering himself, to deny his identity. But Chauvelin was too astute to make such an obviously false and childish move, and already he too had stretched out his hand and said pleasantly, "'I am indeed charmed to see you, Sir Percy. "'You must excuse me. "'Hm, I thought you the other side of the channel. "'Sudden surprise almost took my breath away.' "'La,' said Sir Percy, with a good-humoured grin, "'it did that quite, didn't it? "'Ah, Monsieur, ah, Sobertin?' Pardon me, Chauvelin. I beg your pardon, a thousand times. Yes, Chauvelin, of course. Uh, I never could cotton to foreign names. He was calmly eating his soup, laughing with pleasant good humour, as if he had come all the way to Calais for the express purpose of enjoying supper at this filthy inn. In the company of his arch-enemy. For the moment, Marguerite wondered why Percy did not knock the little Frenchman down then and there, and no doubt something of the sort must have darted through his mind, for every now and then his lazy eyes seemed to flash ominously, as they rested on the slight figure of Chauvelin, who had now quite recovered himself and was also calmly eating his soup. But the keen brain, which had planned and carried through so many daring plots, was too far seeing to take unnecessary risks. This place, after all, might be infested with spies. The innkeeper might be in Chauvelin's pay. One call on Chauvelin's part might bring twenty men about Blakeney's ears, for aught he knew, and he might be caught and trapped before he could get help, or at least warn the fugitives. This he would not risk. He meant to help the others, to get them safely away, for he had pledged his word to them, and his word he would keep. And whilst he ate and chatted, he thought and planned, whilst up in the loft, the poor anxious woman Wrapped her brain as to what she should do, and endured agonies of longing to rush down to him, yet not daring to move for fear of upsetting his plans. I didn't know, Blakeney was saying jovially, that you, er, were in holy orders. I, er, him, stammered Chauvelin. The calm impudence of his antagonist had evidently thrown him off the usual balance. But, la, I should have known you anywhere, continued Percy, placidly, as he poured himself out another glass of wine. Although the wig and hat have changed you a bit. Do you think? Lud, they alter a man so. But, begad... I hope you don't mind my having made the remark, damned bad for making remarks. I hope you don't mind." No, no, not at all. Em. Um, I hope Lady Blakeney is well, said Chauvelin, hurriedly changing the topic of conversation. Blakeney with much deliberation finished his plate of soup, drank his glass of wine, and momentarily. It seemed to Marguerite as if he glanced quickly all around the room. Quite well, thank you, he said at last, dryly. There was a pause, during which Marguerite could watch these two antagonists, who, evidently in their minds, were measuring themselves against one another. She could see Percy almost full face where he was sat at the table, not ten yards from where she herself was crouching, puzzled, not knowing what to do. She had quite controlled her impulse by now of rushing down and disclosing herself to her husband. A man capable of acting a part, in the way he was doing at the present moment, did not need a woman's word to warn him to be cautious. Marguerite indulged in the luxury, dear to every tender woman's heart, of looking at the man she loved. She looked through the tattered curtain, across at the handsome face of her husband, in whose lazy blue eyes, and behind whose inane smile, she could now so plainly see the strength, energy and resourcefulness which had caused the scarlet Pimpernel to be reverenced and trusted by his followers. There are nineteen of us, ready to lay down our lives for your husband, Lady Blakeney," Sir Andrew had said to her, and as she looked at the forehead, low but square and broad, the eyes, blue yet deep-set and intense, the whole aspect of the man, of indomitable energy, hiding behind a perfectly acted comedy his almost superhuman strength of will and marvellous ingenuity. She understood the fascination which he exercised over his followers, for had he not also cast his spells over her heart and imagination? Chauvelin, who was trying to conceal his impatience beneath his usual urbane manner, took a quick look at his watch. gas should not be long, Another two or three minutes, and this impudent Englishman would be secure in the keeping of a half a dozen of Captain Jutley's most trusted men. "'You're on your way to Paris, Percy?' he asked carelessly. "'Odd's life, no,' replied Blakeney with a laugh. "'Only as far as Lille, Not Paris for me. Beastly, uncomfortable place Paris.' Just now, eh, Monsieur Chauverton. Beg pardon, Chauvelin. Not for an English gentleman like yourself, Sir Percy, rejoined Chauvelin, sarcastically, who takes no interest in the conflict that is raging there. La, you see it's no business of mine, and our damned government is all on your side of the business. Old Pitt daren't say boo to a goose. You are in a hurry, sir, he added, as Chauvelin once again took out his watch. An appointment, perhaps? I pray you take no heed of me. My time's my own. He rose from the table and dragged a chair to the hearth. Once more, Marguerite was terribly tempted to go to him, for time was getting on. Disgass might be back at any moment with his men, Percy did not know that, and, oh, how horrible it all was, and how helpless she felt. "'I'm in no hurry,' continued Percy, pleasantly, "'but, la, I don't want to spend any more time than I can help in this godforsaken hole,' but begad, sir,' he added." as Chauvelin had surreptitiously looked at his watch for the third time. "'That watch of yours won't go any faster for all the looking you give it. You are expecting a friend, maybe?' "'Aye, a friend.' "'Not a lady, I trust, Monsieur l'abbé,' laughed Blakeney. "'Surely the Holy Church does not allow, eh?' "'What?' but I say come by the fire, it's getting demmed cold. He kicked the fire with the heel of his boot, making the logs blaze in the old hearth. He seemed in no hurry to go, and apparently was quite unconscious of his immediate danger. He dragged another chair to the fire, and Chauvelin, whose impatience was by now quite beyond control, sat down beside the hearth, in such a way as to command a view of the door. Gas had been gone nearly a quarter of an hour. It was quite plain to Marguerite's aching senses that as soon as he arrived, Chauvelin would abandon all his other plans with regard to the fugitives and capture this impudent scarlet pimpernel at once. Hey, Monsieur Chauvelin, the latter was saying airily. Tell me, I pray you, is your friend pretty? Demmed smart these little French women sometimes, what? But I protest, I need not ask," he added, as he carelessly strode backwards towards the supper table. In matters of taste, the church has never been backward, eh? But Chauvelin was not listening his every faculty was now concentrated on that door, through which presently Discaz would enter. Marguerite's thoughts, too, were centred there, for her ears had suddenly caught through the stillness of the night the sound of numerous and measured treads some distance away. It was Discaz and his men. Another three minutes and they would be here. Another three minutes, and the awful thing would have occurred. The brave eagle would have fallen in the ferret's trap. She would have moved now and screamed, but she dared not, for whilst she heard the soldiers approaching, she was looking at Percy and watching his every movement. He was standing by the table whereon the remnants of the supper, plates, glasses, spoons, salt and pepper pots were scattered pell-mell. His back was turned to chauvelin, and he was still prattling along in his own affected and inane way, but from his pocket he had taken a snuff box, and quickly and suddenly he emptied the contents of the pepper pot into it. Then he again turned with an inane laugh to chauvelin. Eh? Did you speak, sir?" Chauvelin had been too intent on listening to the sound of those approaching footsteps to notice what his cunning adversary had been doing. He now pulled himself together, trying to look unconcerned in the very midst of his anticipated triumph. No, he said presently. That is, as you were saying, Sir Percy. I was saying, said Blakeney, going up to Chauvelin by the fire, that the man in Piccadilly has sold me better snuff this time than I have ever tasted. Will you honour me, Monsieur l'Abbé? He stood close to Chauvelin in his own careless, debonair way, holding out his snuff box to his archenemy. Chauvelin, who, as he told Marguerite once, has seen a trick or two in his day, had never dreamed of this one. With one ear fixed on those fast approaching footsteps, and one eye turned to that door with disgust and his men would presently appear, lulled into a false sense of security by the impudent Englishman's airy manner, he never even remotely guessed the trick which was being played upon him. He took a pinch of snuff. Only he, who had ever by accident sniffed vigorously a dose of pepper, can have the faintest conception of the hopeless condition in which a sniff would reduce any human being. Chauvelin felt as if his head would burst. Sneeze after sneeze seemed nearly to choke him. He was blind, deaf, and dumb for the moment. And during that moment, Blakeney quietly, without the slightest haste, took up his hat, took some money out of his pocket, which he left on the table, then calmly stalked out of the room.